Hi, I'm Jessica. And I'm David. And this is Passports and Birth Control, a couple's take on international travel. Now today we're talking about Dover. Now Dover is a place David and I both love. David as a World War II buff, and me because I have a bit of familial history there. My grandfather was in World War II and actually passed through Dover. So we took a bus down from London. We left out of Victoria Station. It was very affordable, very easy. You can drive down there if you want to rent a car, if you have a car available, but the public transportation is so widely available in Great Britain. There's no reason not to use it. Now, it's possible. I haven't actually looked into the train options of it, but the bus was just so cheap and so easy. You leave out of Victoria Station, which is right on the tube stop, and, and it's just so cheap to get there. Just a quick hour, hour and a half bus ride, and it drops you right off in the middle of Dover. Right. Now, Dover was sort of a waypoint for us. Dover was a way of getting from London to our next major port of call, as you will, of Paris. So we're on our way to Paris, and you can get there either by taking a plane from London, which is surprisingly the most affordable option and fastest, but you have to go through airports, and we didn't want to deal with airports. Plus, Dover and Calais are so crucial to a great deal of European and, to use an antiquated term here, continental Europe. Right, and you can take the channel train directly from London to Paris. It might be faster than the plane, actually, because you don't have to go through the airports on either end. You just get in the train in downtown London, and it drops you off in downtown Paris. However, I don't believe it gets off in Dover, though. It goes under Dover. It goes underneath the English Channel on its way from London to Paris. So it might be difficult or nigh on impossible for you to see Dover if you take the Channel train. So we took a bus. And that's a problem because Dover is a city or town, as it were, that you absolutely should not miss, especially if, like David and I, you're a history geek. Now here's the problem with Dover. You said city, it's not, it's, it a, a, it's a small town and it's a town you don't wanna miss because of its historical significance, its beauty. And if you want to take the ferry across the English Channel, more on that in a second, you pretty much have to stop there anyway. So we really wanted to take the ferry across the English Channel. So we decided one night in Dover would be enough to see what we wanted to see and we get to experience a small English coastal town as well. So it was a great experience and a great idea. The problem is it's very small and I guess we're kind of rare people that want to do that. Not a lot of people want to stay in Dover. So when we booked this, there were only two hostels in the entire city of Dover. And as of now, we've looked this up, there's only one. So if you want to stay in Dover and you want affordable hostel accommodation, Dover Backpackers is your only option. Now the good news is it's a good one. The bad news is the one we stayed at when we had two options, is the one that is no longer there. Which is a shame because it was a, a, a Spitfire pub used by pilots in World War II. Right, so the pub that we that this hostel is on the ground floor of was one of the only buildings that survived the shelling of the Germans. Dover is so close to France, you can see it if it's not terribly cloudy. You can see France, you can see the, the, the town of Calais, which is the port town across from the English Channel there, and the Germans had a bunch of guns that could shoot the long distance across the English Channel and just obliterated most of Dover. This building, however, survived, and there's a pub on the ground floor, and the hostel is in the upper floors. Now, we looked into this, spit, and it's called the Spitfire Pub. And the back, the Dover Backpackers is the hostel that's a part of the Spitfire Pub. We looked into it, it's being remodeled, so hopefully it's going to be opening soon because it was a unique experience. 
But we stayed at the Dover Pack Back Backpackers. You can stay at the one that's left, which is a little bit closer to the ferry, a little bit closer to the castle. We can't really tell you how good of the accommodations were, but their sister hostel, because they're both a part of the same organization, it's just the building that we went to uh, is no longer in existence. So you can stay at that one. I wouldn't dissuade you from staying at it. I'm sure it was nice. I'm sure it'll be fine. briefly Dover Castle. This is one of the two major things you need to see while you are there. The other one are of course the famous White Cliffs of Dover. Everyone has heard the song, or at least heard of the song, Blue Skies Over the White Cliffs of Dover. Well, in this case it was Grey Skies Over the White Cliffs Very of Dover. <laughs> we had a horrible, horrible, horrible weather the whole time we were there. Thankfully it was just overcast when we went to see the castle though. Now the castle itself is incredibly old and has been built and rebuilt and added upon over the years. So there's not really one particular era for this particular castle. Now Dover being a cliff city is very steep, and so the climb up to the castle is not an easy one, but definitely one you need to make. Most of the town is in the port area, so the town itself is quite flat, but if you want to go to the castle, you have to climb a very steep hill. Right, which is of course where you want the fortifications, at the very top of the city, looking down as a defense. So we, we, we climb up this huge, huge, huge hill and we're just, our legs are burning. We get up there and guess what happens when we get to the top of the hill? A spitfire flies overhead. Now for those who don't know, because David's a bit of a geek about this. <laughs> I'm a geek, a spitfire, oh my gosh. A spitfire is a World War II era fighter plane. Right, so it's this World War II fighter, Britain's sort of symbol of their resistance in the Battle of Britain flying overhead and we're like, what is going on? We wanted to see this ancient fortification and here's this World War II aircraft flying by. We get up to the top of the, the, the cliff, we ask to get tickets because you have to buy tickets to go in there, but there's a nice ticket booth right there at the top of the hill. You can buy them at the gate as we did. You can drive up there too and there's a parking lot, but you know, walk up the cliff. It's part of the experience. And so, you know, there's plenty of railings. It's not like you're actually climbing. You're just going up a steep sidewalk. A very steep sidewalk. So we pay to get in and I asked the ticket booth person, uh, what's going on? They say, oh, we're having a World War II reenactment. So we happened upon a World War II reenactment happening at, happening at Dover Castle. Now, it was phenomenal as an experience, but it is definitely not something we planned, and I don't know how often they do these, so I can't really recommend you seek this out. I can recommend if it is there, go for it. The castle itself is definitely worth going to by itself, but we got to walk around the castle, and the first thing we see are these World War II jeeps and trucks and tanks and people dressed up in all sorts of different garbs, the American groups, the, the British groups. They're all British people, by the way. But they're all dressed as various combatants throughout World War II. Right, we even had some British guys dressed up in Nazi uniforms. And it was funny, we're, first thing we do when we get to the castle, we just kind of walk around the grounds. And you see, like Jessica said, that they're, they're buildings from all sorts of different eras that are 200 years old, 500 years old, and all sorts of things. And there's this group of British soldiers dressed up in Nazi uniforms having some coffee because it was quite cold that day. And the very. wind on the top of Dover is just brutal. It's just very, very fast. When so everyone's huddled around a cup of coffee and they're standing beside a trebuchet because there's this, this tre there's all sorts of medieval 
stuff lying around and modern stuff. And so they're, they're doing this reenactment and they're standing on this trebuchet. I walk up to him. I say, oh, look, it's modern German technology that you guys are utilizing. So we had a good laugh at that because they're British. They know they're playing the bad guys. If you happen to be at Dover Castle when there is not a World War II enactment and no Nazis are standing by the trebuchets, the trebuchets are themselves still interesting to look at. Oh, they're very cool. So are all of the fortifications. Now, the main part of Dover Castle, what a lot of castle fortifications call the bailey, the central fortification, they've got this modeled in the way it was during Henry VIII's era. Now, it wasn't always this way. It's been remodeled and changed, but I think a lot of people were interested in the Henry VIII style and, and everything. So they had it as if Henry VIII were coming to that castle. So apparently he had actually come to Dover Castle at one point. So it's become a museum now and they've modeled everything. The king is coming. We're going to get this castle geared up for the king to stay the night here. So there's all these exhibits of this is where he might have stayed. There is someone who has a fire going in the kitchen. And you can tell that this castle, you know, to live in a castle wouldn't necessarily be a very romantic it thing to do. It was not comfortable. It was not comfortable. And the smoke from the fire in the kitchen, you could smell it all over the castle, even in what were supposed to be the king's bedchambers. So it was a very fortification-focused, not uh, <laughs> comfort-focused building. It was a castle, building. not a palace. Right. And so they had this decked out in that, you know, Henry VIII era. But that's not the only era the fortifications were built around. You can go to the far end of the castle where there's this big flagpole waving the Union Jack flag. And not far away from that is this tumble-down brick structure. And it looks very, very, very old. And you're not sure what it is for because it's not really part of any other building. It's out there sitting on its own in a grass plateau. And this is a Roman lighthouse. So this goes back, these fortifications go back to Roman and pre-Roman times. The Romans invaded, Julius Caesar invaded, and they built this lighthouse to help ships come across from what was then Gaul, you know, Roman Gaul, to come over to Great Britain and, and invade. And so this lighthouse has been there ever since then. It's not a working lighthouse anymore. It's just Obviously. a pile of bricks anymore, really. Uh, but it's right at the end of the fortifications. And then within that, you've got Napoleonic era fortifications, because apparently the British during Napoleon's era were very worried that Napoleon was going to get in a fleet and come and invade. Not unjustified concern. Yeah, he'd invaded pretty much everywhere else at that point. So there's all these cannons and walls, and they explained that if the, if the French ever tried to attack, they'd have to scale these just 100-foot cliffs, and it just looks freaking impossible. Especially given that these cliffs are chalk and therefore incredibly soft. Right. So it just you, like I'm if I were Napoleon's French troops, I would not want to attack this place. Thankfully, that they, they never they never did. So the fortifications were never tested. However, the same fortifications were in place during World War II, when once again, Great Britain was on its own with a brutal dictator across the other side, except it wasn't uh, the French this time. It was the Germans. So they were very concerned, and very much rightly so, that the Germans were going to invade and that they were going to begin the invasion in Dover. Which now, they did try. We mentioned the bombardment from Clay not that long ago. Right. They never actually sent troops over, but they certainly looked at Dover from across the, the, the channel. They'd already taken over France. They put a bunch of guns on in Calais, and they were shooting up Dover, and it was quite possible they considered invading. So... Winston Churchill and all these World War II guys, they had to put a bunch of fortifications in Dover. Now, one of the things they've got going on in Dover 
is a museum that's once again rebuilt in an era because there was the fortifications weren't really used in the Cold War. It kind of got run down. And so they restored a lot of the tunnels underneath it, which were originally built as Napoleonic era fortifications. But during World War II, they turned it into a big bunker and a command station. And so you can tour this. There's these concrete walls and big metal doors that clang shut and um, all the all these equipment and big maps it's very James Bond like in, in atmosphere and they've got it set up to pretend just like with Henry VIII's visit so it was very weird going from Henry VIII's coming to the Nazis are invading all in the same sort of structure and the, the, the idea was, is they restored it to what it was, or, or as close as they could be, to Operation Dynamo. Now, what's exciting about that is Operation Dynamo was actually very recently declassified before we went. So all of this was still very new in the cultural zeitgeist. So if you've seen the film Dunkirk, it really channels a lot of what was happening there. You can see in the movie Dunkirk, there's these admirals and people over there on Dover and they're looking over at Calais and they're like how are we going to get all these soldiers over from France the the French have lost the war the British army is still in France we've got to get them over here and so Operation Dynamo was the attempt to get all those French, those UK soldiers back over to UK and so you can see all this done and it's just great I apologize for having too much history in this I mean this castle is just just chock full of from Roman to Henry VIII to Nazi stuff I mean it or into World War II stuff it is just a thrill if you have any interest in history and the history is why we went that's why we're geeking out so hard over it <laughs> So the last thing I'll talk about the history, because it was a living history, is we got to experience and see the World War II reenactment. So they announced that at a certain date was going to a certain time it was going to happen. And so we all lined up on this little hill, because it's a very hilly fortification. There's this grass hill, and we're looking down into these buildings. Now there's this cluster of buildings that they told us were Napoleonic era barracks. These are where the British soldiers would sleep and eat while they were waiting to make sure that the French never invaded. Old buildings like wood and stone, not fortifications, living quarters. Right, and they were using these to represent a Normandy farmhouse. Yeah, they're saying, yeah, look over there, that's a Normandy farmhouse. We're in France, so we're not in Dover. So they didn't imagine that the Nazis were invading and were gonna repel them because that never actually happened. They're saying, let's pretend that we're in Normandy and this is a farmhouse. And so they showed a bunch of Germans showing up and they, oh, here are the Nazis. They, they didn't bring out the trebuchet, but they brought out their machine guns and mortars and whatnot. And they're like, boo, the Nazis are coming and they're building up fortifications. So they had them getting in the windows and setting up machine guns. And, and they said, oh, here comes a patrol, a British patrol. And so a Land Rover, uh, it's the little, little British Jeep is what it looks like. It comes up. The road it, it stops in the farmhouse, and then you hear a gunshot, bang! And one of the soldiers in the jeep or the, the Land Rover falls over, and the other soldier falls back and gets on his radio and calls in. They said, "And reinforcements are coming!" And then a bunch of British soldiers in that very khaki-looking uniform they rush very period in. Period costumes, very well done. Period costumes, period vehicles, everything from the era. Right, and so they're 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 shooting their machine guns, and it's just noisy. And then the and artillery goes off, and they have these little 
firework explosion things built into the dirt and they're going off and like I, I don't know if they should this is a historical museum that these buildings they're shooting at guns and the now they were using blanks and yeah. the professionals doing But it was still Napoleonic fortifications. I mean, it's like watching someone in in the middle of uh, like a Civil War reenactment. They actually used the buildings that were around there from the Civil War. And so at one point, the, of course, the British, they, they're winning the fight. The Germans are retreating. And, and so the British charge into the buildings. And one of them throws a dummy grenade into the Napoleonic barracks. It ex obviously it's just a big bang. It's like a flashbang grenade. But I'm like, I wonder how flammable those buildings are. And so there's smoke coming out of these 200, 300 year old buildings. It just, this is from an American perspective. When I see a 200, 300 year old building, the last thing I want to do is shoot off blanks and throw fake grenades in it. But you know, the British, they're like, Hey, we got Roman bricks lying around. Who cares if it's 200 years old? It was absolutely an amazing thing to watch. It, it was so much fun and so well done and so well choreographed and acted. It was such an experience. Right. And so at the end of it, you see the Spitfire doing a big circle around it again. Everybody cheers. It was just such fun. Now, of course, after this wonderful afternoon we had watching this reenactment, we were starving. So we find this little restaurant there in Dover, and he and I both got Dover Sole, which is a, a fish from the channel. And this was absolutely some of the best fish we had in the UK. Dover Sole is the dish you have in Dover. It's not terribly cheap. We went to a relatively expensive place because we wanted to get the nice Dover Sole. But even then, it's not exactly like London expensive. It's... It's, it's nice, it's fancy. We had a little fire in this very cozy restaurant. And so it, it felt very luxurious and it was a little bit pricey. And I'm not gonna tell you where exactly to go. You can go lots of different places because frankly, as great of an experience we had, Dover Soul can be found in lots of different restaurants. So find one that is to your choice. And to your budget. Now, if you don't like seafood, you're not going to like Dover. Dover is, of course, a coastal place. Get the seafood. Well, there. get the fish and chips if you don't want Dover sole. I mean, you can still get that at a pub. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of pubs, we spent the rest of our evening at the Spitfire Pub, the pub in the bottom floor of our hostel. And we had an interesting conversation. So, so here's how this pub worked. It was microscopic. I mean, very small. Most of the pub was this half-circle bar. And in this half-circle bar, they had like five or six seats. Uh, bar stools, and then like two high top tables. That was pretty much it. And it was okay though, because it wasn't terribly populated. There were a couple of guests and we were there, we had some pints and then a couple that was that were locals that frequented this place. So I guess they, they were regulars. They came in and they got a couple of Carlsberg beers. Now, as I've said in the past, we were there during Brexit when Brexit was this big controversial topic where Great Britain was going to leave the European Union. And we had strike up this conversation with this gentleman. And it was so surreal hearing someone make an argument in on the behalf of Brexit. The Brexit was a good idea. So he, he comes up to me. He says, do you like that beer? And I said, yes, I like it very much. He said, it's the hops, isn't it? And I said, well, yeah, I, I, I know hops. I like hops. I'm actually a home brewer. And I know exactly what kind of hops are good. He said, yes, those are Kent Golding's hops. I said, I know Kent Golding hops. I use them. They make great porters. They're very delicious. He said, yes. And if we don't have Brexit, we don't get more Kent Golding hops. I thought that was a weird thing to say. <laughs> I, I'm in America and I get Kent Golding hops. It's not like you can, if you leave the European Union, all of a sudden you lose all your Kent Golding hops. 
Let's not forget the issues we saw with Brexit. You remember that billboard we saw on the bus ride down? Be very... <laughs> yeah, so... It's a racist. It's weird to say because it was against Germans. It said, stop the German advance with Z-E. And it was a pro-Brexit song. Very cringy. And it's essentially saying that Germany failed to take Great Britain in World War II. And here it is. It's trying to take over us with the EU. And so this gentleman, in his mind, I guess maybe he saw the reenactment too. It, it was It's just such a weird connection to say we need to stop the Germans from invading Dover again to save the Kent Golding Hops. <laughs> right. It was a very alarming, almost, experience. Right. But then we go to bed. And a uh, quick note about our stay in the hostel. It, it was an interesting stay because it was stormed like crazy that night. There was wind blowing, and I f literally felt our building rocking and rolling like we were on a ship. Which is probably why it's now under repair. Yeah, hopefully they're <laughs> fixing this. One of the things they might need to fix was our bed because we stayed in a tiny, tiny room, which is fine. We just went there to sleep. Right. It was a bunk bed that was weirdly laid out. It had two people on the bottom and one person on the top. So it was a two-person mattress on the bottom and a one-person mattress on top. So I guess it's a great experience if you have a third wheel. It gave us a good place to go. <laughs> yeah, we put our backpacks on the top. And the other thing about it is I felt like the whole building was crooked. So we ended up rolling on top of each other because we couldn't get separated, which I guess was fair enough for I mean a romantic cold evening. The next morning, of course, and it stormed all night. So the next day was cold and wet and rainy. Stormed and, and rained all over us. Oh. Which, the channel, when it's been raining and storming and wind blowing, the channel is not the smoothest passage of water. And so that ferry ride was miserable. So here's how the ferry works. The ferry is meant to ferry your car from Dover to Calais. That's why people take the ferry. We were one of like five people who didn't have a car. In fact, a lot of people looked at us like, what are you doing? You're just a passenger? You're just going over to Calais? That's silly. Now, it was cheaper to do it that way because we didn't have a car. They were only ferrying these two individuals. They gave us a discounted rate. Right, but it is cheaper to take a plane if you want to get to Paris, unfortunately. Yes. So we learned that the hard way. We were So it's rare that people take the ferry unless they have a car. Because you can take your car on the channel train, but it's a lot more expensive to put your car on that train. It's a lot cheaper to put your car on the ferry. But that's what most people take the ferry for is if they have a car. We didn't have a car. We thought it would be a fun experience. It would have been if we'd had blue skies over Dover. <laughs> we had gray stormy skies and the channel rough. If the weather is rough, perhaps don't take the ferry. <laughs> right. I, the, th the thing was is that we almost didn't actually make it to Calais. At one point, we, we the, the, the ferry is supposed to take about an hour, half hour or so. It's not long at all. This took like two hours. I mean, it was a long trip because we got near the port of Calais and the weather was so bad, the captain announced over the intercom, we might not actually make it to port, guys. We might have to turn around. And I thought, oh, no. How are we going to – we have a – we're supposed to get to Paris today. We had a train to catch. We had a train to catch in Calais that was going to take us to Paris. So finally, we we're, we're able to make it. And, and at one point, we're sitting in the in the big communal area where you can get coffee and donuts and breakfast and whatnot. 
and I'm looking out the windows and I'm wobbling and, and weaving and just trying to keep my feet under me. I'm looking at the floor between my knees because I am absolutely seasick. So I go over like, hey, you feeling okay? She's like, don't talk to me. <laughs> I wasn't that mean about it. <laughs> but finally, much to Jessica's relief, we dock in Calais. Now, Calais is an industrial town much like Dover, but much like Dover as well, it got annihilated because the British were shelling the crap out of it too. And so it's mostly new buildings. There are a few older buildings. And it was really disappointing because we meant to have a couple of hours in Calais because our ferry wasn't supposed to take forever because the weather wasn't supposed to be bad. But we kind of wished we could have seen like the old courthouse and government buildings that were there. It's an okay experience. I don't regret not staying the night in Calais. I don't regret not doing that. I do regret not having maybe an hour to explore it. But we had to get directly from the ferry to our train because we had a train to catch. We were going right. to miss. We had tickets. We were going to miss that train. We had to book it. We did make our train to Paris. Right. But on the way, we didn't know where the train station was. We had to take a bus. And while we're waiting for the bus that was going to take us from the port to the train station, we encountered another backpacker. And he had a backpack on with a sleeping bag. He was geared out. And we were both waiting for the train for the bus, but he wasn't going to the train station. He was going to a refugee camp that was in Calais. Now, these were refugees from the Middle East, Syria, etc. And he was going to go help the refugees in the camp, which was surprising. He was an American, too. And we were so shamed. Because <laughs> here we are, we're on our way to Paris. We're going to eat well and drink well in Paris. And here's this gentleman saying, I'm going to go be a, a servant to the people in, in, in the Calais uh, refugee camp. And so it's something we learned throughout our trip that, that you can be a tourist, you can, but you also have to be aware of your privilege and, and how privileged and, and happy we were as cheaply as we were traveling. There are a lot of people in worse, worse shape than us. And it was, it was shaming, but also eye-opening in a good way. Yeah, so be open to those experiences while you're traveling. Understand that there are people in a worse situation than you. But I'm not going to be one of those people that say because there are people who are worse off than you are, that that means you can't enjoy your trip, that you shouldn't go on these experiences. Travel is a cultural enlightenment for you and for everyone else. The only thing I would say is don't be a jerk. Right. Always be respectful to those around you. Remember, you are on vacation, but for the person who, with whom you're interacting, it's a Tuesday. Be nice. So, what are our favorites in Dover? We were only there about 27 hours, 28 hours. So, really short options for our favorites. What was your favorite food? Oh, the Dover Soul. I know we only really had two meals in Dover. We had lunch and we had dinner. Yeah, the lunch wasn't remarkable. It was very unremarkable. But that Dover soul was mouth-watering. I have to agree with you. And I also have to add that while we had, I think, white wine with our Dover soul, which was delicious, the best thing to drink in Dover is a pint at any of the many pubs. You can go to the Spitfire pub, get a pint. Get any kind of pint. Go to another pub. There are very cozy wonderful British pubs in pretty much any small town in Britain, and they all have good pints. And so have a pint at a pub, maybe the Spitfire pub, maybe somewhere else. I can't disagree on principle. 
However, I had an amazing gin and tonic while we were there. And unfortunately, I don't have a new cocktail for this week because it's the UK. If you're getting a cocktail in the UK, you need to get a gin and tonic. I'm sure that there are more clever ones, but when you're in Dover, a gin and tonic to chase away the scurvy or a, uh, a pint to chase away the cold, it's the best thing you can do. And the best thing in Dover, obviously, the reason to go to Dover is the Dover Castle. Now, I think the best part of the Dover Castle, and you're not guaranteed to see this when you're there, I will own to that, but I thought the, re the reenactment was the best part of Dover for me. Right, even if you can't see the reenactment, though, the castle is worth the trip. Oh, absolutely. What's not worth the trip? The ferry. Do not take the ferry. <laughs> even if it's blue skies. Here's the thing, guys, if you want to go from London to Paris, which is a great thing to do, take a plane. Take the channel train. It's faster. It's easier. You don't have to worry about getting a train from Calais to Paris, which was kind of annoying, to be honest. Take a bus trip to Dover and then go back to London and then get on the train or get on a plane. But the ferry, you will look like a fool because you don't have a car. It will be difficult. It'll be uncomfortable. And it'll take twice as long as the plane or the channel train. And it won't really save you all that much money. It's a neat enough experience. You're on a boat in the English Channel. Do it once, if you must. But seriously, guys, <laughs> the train is the way to go. The train <laughs> or the plane is the way to go. But get to Dover. But if you're going to Paris, unless you have a car, don't get, take the ferry. Don't take the ferry. So this has been Passports and Birth Control. Don't forget your passport. Don't forget your birth control. Like Passports and Birth Control? Give us a review and follow us on Instagram. Tell us in the comments where you'd like us to go next and support us on Patreon. Your support will send us more places and help us create more episodes.